Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the grace that you have given to us, even of being here in this house and this morning. We thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for Brother Andrade and the gift you've given him and to all of the singers, Lord. Most of all, we thank you, though, for Jesus, and we pray that he will be our focus as we open your word this morning in your name. Amen. History is a very good reminder that God's timing is always perfect. Looking back now on history, it is very obvious that God appointed the 16th century to be the season of the great movements of the Reformation. It was aspects of the Reformation prior to that, but that was a great season of the movements of the Reformation. Religious, economic, and political factors that had been brewing for centuries set the stage for the Reformation at that time. The papacy had reached a level of corruption. Monasticism and scholastic theology had declined, and, and there was a, a greater sense of, of, of awe and wonder that was being explored. There was a revival of Greek and, and Roman classics. People were beginning to read and to learn for themselves. Men with the spirit of inquiry and, and independence were discovering the new world as a time of exploration. Maybe above all of these, the printing press had been invented and, and the, the Greek New Testament had been republished and, and it was now accessible to more people. Even secular stirrings added to the right climate for this event, the Renaissance, which was definitely a secular movement, was a factor in that it challenged individuals. It challenged individuals to use their minds to think for themselves. All of this led to the day of October 31, 1517, the day in which Martin Luther, a, a Catholic priest, a, a professor, a theology professor, nailed 95 theses to a door in Wittenberg, Germany. Not with the intent of causing a worldwide movement, but simply that he was worried about his church and he wanted to see some things changed. He didn't have the intent of being someone that would be talked about 400 plus years later. He did it with the intent of, of seeing a different picture of Jesus that wasn't being shown within the church. 95 theses that challenged several teachings of the Catholic Church. Teachings that Luther would reject and lead others to reject, but thus, by this action, he ignited the Reformation. Indeed, the social and the political and the, and the religious and the intellectual climate was right for the Reformation in the 16th century. But Reformation would not have started that day in October if one thing had not first happened. All of these things contributed to it, but, but there, was a, there was a necessity that preceded all of these things. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, please. The book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans is the book that, that Martin Luther was studying thoroughly. He was also looking at Galatians and and in other places. 
But Romans was a book in which his eyes were first ignited to, to the truths that began to, to formulate these 95 theses. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. 17 is really what ignited in, in Martin Luther this, this hope, this, this picture of, of Jesus that he had never really seen before. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then verse 17, for, when he read verse 17, his eyes were, were illuminated, his mind was illuminated. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Martin Luther suddenly discovered the righteous man shall live by faith. By faith in what? By faith. By faith in the salvation of God through Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. Martin Luther suddenly had his eyes opened to the idea that salvation could be his, not by some work or by some action of his own, but through the, through, through the ministry, through the service, through the grace, through the blessing of Jesus Christ. His text opened Martin Luther's mind. But we're going to turn to another part of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Because Martin Luther said, if the Bible were a ring, he said, if the Bible were a ring, then Romans would be the gem that enhanced that ring. And if the Bible were a ring and Roman was the gem that enhanced that ring, ring Martin Luther said, then Romans 8 would be the brilliant splendor that emanated from that ring. This chapter was to Martin Luther the pinnacle of the gospel. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes here, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, read, read these together. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced, Paul writes, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 begins by, by beautifully proclaiming, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans 8 beautifully ends by proclaiming, there is now no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is all based on one thing. Our relationship. Our position in Christ. Paul the author of Romans is not basing this declaration of, of no condemnation on any work you or I can do. It's not based on any work that you or I can do. Nor is he basing his declaration that there is no separation from Christ Jesus based on any work that you or I can do. It is all about our relationship, our connection with Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 7, you turn back there, Romans chapter 7 is all about the law's inability to save us. It's all about the law's inability to save us. Romans chapter 7 is about how the greatest value of the law is that it shows me that I can't keep the law. 
The greatest value of the law is that it, that it shows me how much I'm in need of someone else to step into my place. The greatest value of the law is that, that, it, that it teaches me that there's a better way, but not by my works, but by the works of Jesus Christ. Now to one like Martin Luther, if you read just Romans chapter 7, you could be distressed because his entire world was built on the idea, his entire theology was built on the idea that a person could only be saved by keeping the law perfectly in and of their own strength, by working really hard, by, 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 by persevering and, and, and when confronted with sin, they just on their own strength and willpower force themselves through. In the book, Triumph, The Triumph of Truth, A Life of Martin Luther, we read, a tender conscience inclined Luther to regard the slightest fault as a great sin. He had hardly discovered it before he endeavored to expiate it by the severest mortifications. Here's what Martin Luther would do when he was sinful and he thought, man, I've got to get rid of this sinful flesh. When, when the law exposes sinfulness, he would, he would literally whip himself to the point at which he would bleed so that somehow he would punish himself so that he could no longer sin, so that he would no longer sin. One time he took a, a trip and he went to uh, St. Peter, the stairway of St. Peter's Basilica, and he, he, he would do what so many people did at that time. He would crawl up these stairs on his knees. There was blood that was, would line these stairs. As he would crawl up these stairs on his knees, hoping that somehow this would show his, his deep, deep sorrow for his sin and would somehow make him a better person. Martin Luther, in his own words, I tortured myself almost to death in order to procure peace with God for my troubled heart and agitated conscience, but surrounded with, with thick darkness, I found peace nowhere. Martin Luther discovered what probably many of us have discovered, or maybe even what some of us are going through right now. If you try to find peace on your own merits, or on your own works, or your own tortured conscience, you will discover there is no peace. That tunnel always ends up blocked, a dead end, no way out. This was Martin Luther. He had no peace. And nor would he if he only read Romans 7 up to verse 24. Verse 24, you see, reads this. Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Man, if, if Paul had stopped writing right there in chapter 7 or someone only read 7 and they read to that part, they would be distraught. The law can't save me. The law shows me I'm horrible, but the law can't save me. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? But verse, then comes verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Why do we thank God? Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Because now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I see my sin. The law shows me that I am sinful. Folks, 
we all need to recognize our depravity. Problem is, too many of us stay in that depravity and dwell there and beat ourselves up there. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from myself? When I was a kid, this is why I decided that God must not care. Because I looked at my own life and I said, man, I just cannot stop screwing up. So God, God either is not powerful or doesn't care. So why, why even try? God, God, must not, God must be some distant God. I know he created us, but, but he must be some distant God who doesn't care anymore. That's, that's what this leads to. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from myself? But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. I don't possess it in myself. It's in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son. What the law could not do, what I could not do for myself, God did by sending his son. In the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Man, I love that. I won't ask you to raise your hands. But how many of us have felt the weight of feeling condemned in our lives? It hurts. We felt it from family members, parents, probably many of us. We all know that moment where our mom gave us that look. It's a look of sorrow, but also a look of, how could you do this? Our little children's hearts broke under that feeling of condemnation. But as we grow up, we get that same sense that God looks at us and sometimes sees us that way. And we feel condemned. But I love what the scripture says there. It says, there is no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. Why? Because God sent his son in the flesh on my behalf so, so that now I wouldn't be condemned. But what does it say? He condemned sin in the flesh. God doesn't want to leave you in your sin. He wants to condemn the sin in you. But when he's condemning the sin in you, he's not condemning you. He's pulling you out of that. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the climate that had to be just right in order for there to be a reformation was the climate of Luther's heart. Before Martin Luther could nail 95 theses to a door in Wittenberg, Germany, God had to nail his theses to the door of Martin Luther's heart. The theses that God saved him, not because of anything he did, not because of his own merit, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The theses that nothing could separate him from the love of God, that God would love him no matter what, and no matter who he was, and no matter how hard he worked. God had to nail those theses to the heart of Martin Luther before he could nail 95 theses to the wall, to the door in Wittenberg. 
Martin Luther believed for years that God was against him. But over time, his heart slowly opened to discover not only was God not against him, but Romans 8 tells us that if God is for us, then who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, reformation in this world is not possible if reformation does not first occur in your heart and my heart. It's not possible. Martin Luther would have never changed the world if his heart had not first been touched with the love of Jesus. Martin Luther would would just be a blip in the annals of history if God had not touched his heart and Martin Luther had not discovered that he was loved by Jesus Christ. For many in this world, Reformation has come to mean a function of works. We've been talking about in our church even revival and reformation, and sometimes when I hear people talk about revival and reformation, I hear them talk about reformation as in I've got to work more to get better, to be, to be more whole, to be more, more perfect. The truth is many of us are still in desperate need of the reformation that Martin Luther underwent, a reformation away from a works-based religion to a reformation of the heart, believing that Jesus really loves us enough, believing that Jesus really fights for us on our behalf. Yes, the Reformation condemned teachings of the Catholic Church and condemned uh, 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 aspects of this, but not just for the sake of condemning the Catholic Church. In fact, we know that Martin Luther actually wanted to stay a Catholic priest, he wanted, he wanted to, to serve his church and to, to, to help his church. But Luther did these things. He nailed these 95 theses, not to, to tear down this church, but because they taught something he knew in his heart wasn't true. They taught that you had to work your way into heaven, that you had to do certain things to earn God's love, to earn God's favor. They taught that you had to go through someone else to get to Jesus. They put forth a picture of God that was incompatible with the theses nailed in Luther's heart. You are not condemned. You will never be separated from my love. The Reformation wasn't about right rules and wrong rules. It was about recognizing that Jesus is everything. That's what the Reformation was about. That Jesus is everything. And then all those rules that were counter to this idea that Jesus is everything began to stand out. That is why we sang the songs we did today. You know, one of the things that they say is if you want to you really understand the movements of history, then look at the music and what was being written at that time. I'm scared to see what some of the things are that people would write about our music today many years down the road. A text written by Luther in our choral intro today. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord God, hear me calling. Incline your ear to my distress in spite of my rebelling. Do not regard my sinful deeds. Send me the grace my spirit needs. Without it, I am nothing. Martin Luther most of his life thought, how do I become something? Only if I work hard. And now he realized that that without the grace sent by God through Jesus Christ, 
He is nothing. Without what? Without the grace. The grace from whom? The grace from Jesus. We sang what is known as the the great battle hymn of the Reformation, what some historians have referred to as the great battle hymn of the Reformation. And that second stanza in, 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 in in our hymn today, that stanza is the stanza of the Reformation. That was the theses that was written on the heart of Martin Luther. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name, from age to age the same. And then I love the very last line. And he must win the battle. And he must win the battle. Brothers and sisters, if you are battling any sin in your life, if you are battling any, any doubt in your life, I want to tell you that that battle is a losing fight if you fight it. But if you surrender to Jesus, then we must let him win that battle. He must win the battle, Jesus. Our offertory, written by Bach some hundred plus years after Luther, yet it was still the great cry of Luther that influenced Bach. Jesus, joy of man's desiring, holy wisdom, love most bright, drawn by thee, our souls aspiring, soar to uncreated light. Who was the desire of the Reformation? It was Jesus. The desire of the Reformation was not to get rid of Tetzel. The desire of the Reformation was not to to tear down a church. The desire of the Reformation was to lift up Jesus higher and still higher until he was all that people saw. And he, through his power, transformed people's lives. Our call to prayer expresses what should be the great response of our hearts as we realize that Jesus has done everything that there is no condemnation, that there is no separation. This song was written by the son of a Lutheran minister many, many years even after Bach. The, the history has continued, the Reformation continues, and we, we continue to need, need to be reminded of the themes throughout history. To thee, O Jesus, I direct my eye. To thee, my hands. To thee, my humble knees. To thee, my heart shall offer sacrifice. To thee, my thoughts, who my thoughts only sees. To thee, myself, myself and all I give. To thee, I die. To thee, I only live. Martin Luther went there that day to nail 95 theses to a door in order to have a conversation about some things that needed to be changed. But then he quickly realized that for the rest of his life, his mission must be lifting Jesus up higher and higher and higher. That is what happens when we discover the love of Jesus. That is why we go out and hand these things out, even though people may scorn us and laugh at us. Martin Luther didn't do it because he was, he was a, a naturally courageous man. In fact, one historian said, a historian uh, by the name of Tristram Hunt from the University of London, he said there was nothing in Luther's life up to that point that would give any hint of him becoming a great reformer. Nothing. Yet he changed the world. We as Seventh-day Adventists are the offspring 
of Martin Luther. HMS Richard said it goes, Augustine, Martin Luther, uh, John Wesley, William Miller, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are the offspring of that, which means that as we discover and as we lift Jesus up higher, then we're compelled to go out and to share the good news of Jesus and to confront, like Martin Luther did, anything that paints a picture of Jesus that is not accurate with one who does not condemn and who does not separate his love from us. We are called to continue the Reformation. Here is the instruction for our Reformation cry from the pen of Ellen White. From Manuscript 27, written in 1891. Lift up Jesus, the man of Calvary. This is her instruction to the pastor. Lift up Jesus, the man of Calvary. Lift him up in prayer. Lift him up in song. Lift up the man of Calvary still higher and still higher. And let your message be, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Lift up higher Jesus. Lift up higher and higher Jesus. We are continue to continue the reformation that Luther started by lifting Jesus higher, by opposing all those things that are taught that tear Jesus down, even some of the things maybe within our own church. To oppose those attitudes even within our own hearts that make us God and tear Jesus down. We are to continue the reformation that Luther started And this only comes by lifting Jesus higher. And this only happens as we allow God to nail his theses under the wall of our hearts. Will you take out your connection card with me now at this time? Those white cards that you came in with. This is our prayer response today. This is just a simple appeal. If you've been living under the tyranny of a workspace religion, if you know in your life that, that, that you've tr- been trying to earn salvation in some way, and I ask you to, to, to have this prayer today. If you're someone in here that has felt condemned, felt that there's no one that loves you, there's no one that cares about you, there's no way you could be saved, I want you to know there is. It's through Jesus Christ, by accepting him as your savior. We simply say, Jesus, I accept you as my savior. Come into my heart, and he transforms us. As we focus more and more upon Jesus, our lives are changed. By beholding, you become changed. We love to quote that text within the context of bad and wicked things, but it is also true that by beholding Jesus Christ, time and time again throughout the day over and over again by beholding Jesus and lifting him higher and higher on a daily basis by beholding Jesus we will also change Jesus said if I am lifted up then I will draw all people unto me Jesus and only Jesus Lord nail your theses on the door of my heart that as I accept you I am not condemned and that there is nothing that can separate me from your love. And then, as we embrace that truth, as we realize that truth, we will find ourselves driven, like our song, our prayer song today. Lord, all my life 
for thee. I live, I die for only thee, Jesus. That's the desire of your heart. I just want to encourage you to check that box today. As you leave here, you can turn those cards in at the back door as you leave or at the welcome center. In Germany, 469 years ago, in a small backwater town called Eilben, the shaking hand of a dying man scribbled this simple line. We are beggars, period. This is true. Martin Luther died February 18, 1546. These last words, written with a feeble, withered hand, express the strong and mighty bulwark that Luther nailed to the door in 1517 and taught to the world, the strong and mighty bulwark that God nailed to his heart and never let him forget. We bring nothing to the table. We are beggars. So thank God that he sent Jesus to give us food. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the reminders in history. The reminders in history of how desperately we need Jesus. We are to continue the Reformation, Lord. We are to continue to oppose air, not simply for the basis of opposing air, but to oppose air that opposes the character of Jesus. We are called to be a people that will paint the picture for this world of a glorious and risen Savior who is coming soon, not because of burden, not because of obligation, but because he's in love with his children and he wants to spend eternity with them. Lord, may we lift Jesus up and may we present this message wherever we go. In your name we pray, amen.